Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Passing Dimes. Really excited for today's guest and all of her experience so far in our sport. So she is a provincial champion in the OVA with Lakeside Volleyball Club. She's a three-time All-Southland Conference first-team All-Star. She won the SLC tournament title, and she was a 2015 SLC Student Athlete of the Year with Central Arkansas. She transferred to LMU, where she helped the team win their first conference title on the beach. She's already represented Team Canada and helped us win a bronze medal at a Norseka championship. She won the Eric Zahn Scholarship. And she's currently training with P1440. Please welcome to the show, Megan Nash. Megan, thanks for doing this. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. So let's let's start from the top here. We usually like to start with people's intro into volleyball. And looking at your profile, growing up in Oakville, that seems to be a hotbed for, for girls volleyball in Ontario. So did you start in the club world? Was there a school teacher, a sibling? Like, how did you choose volleyball to be your sport? So I started playing in, like, grade six slash seven slash eight um but I was playing I was really into soccer at the time from like grade three to grade eight um and then I started playing volleyball and you know some of my my teammates in grade eight were like yeah we're gonna try out for a club team and I was like "Ooh, club volleyball like maybe I'll try out so then I ended up trying out in grade nine for the first time and I played for Oakville Thunder for grade nine and ten um and obviously, we're, they're, like, pretty small. Nobody really knows about them. But they were just super close to my house, and it was just easy for my family. And then after that, uh, I was actually in Collingwood on, like, a family trip. And two of my teammates and really good friends decided to go try out for Lakeside because they were just really curious. And they were like, why not? They're so good. Like, we want to be like Lakeside because they won. they won the 17U champions, and we were a year below them. And so they went to the tryouts, and they were like, oh, my gosh, the coaches are amazing. Like, Megan, you have to come to tryouts. And I was like, guys, I'm on a family vacation. They are like, you have to come. Like, we have to make this team. So I, like, somehow my parents arranged for me to leave my family vacation in Collingwood to, like, come back and try out for Lakeside. And then I ended up making the 18U team, even though I was trying out for the 17U team. And I was, like, super raw. Like, I'm pretty sure they were laughing at me at the tryouts. They tell me this now. <laughs> But, I mean, the coach just saw potential in me, and that year, in one year, it just helped me, like, grow super quick, and that's that's really when I started getting recruited to the States when I was 17. So, yeah, I'm pretty pretty late bloomer. But, yeah, so I did Oakville Thunder, and then I went to Lakeside, and then that's when we were actually provincial champions. I was also an all-star that year, so my grade 11 year was really, like, a transformative year for me. Yeah, I'm trying to place you and who else would have been on that roster. Were you playing with, like, Beltran and Arcevic? And who else would have been on the team you won yeah, Provincials? Yeah, so it was actually uh, Katie Beltran was on the team, but it wasn't Sam Beltran. I played with her the year after on the 18s team. So it was Alex Arcevic, Joanna Dedrich, I don't know how to say her last name, but she played at <laughs> Mac after. Um, Katie Venturi was our setter. Julia Carrasco, which was another girl, one of my friends that was my age that also played up. Roberta Dunlap, Rebecca Forbes. I feel like I'm missing someone really important. Leah Davies. Yeah, that was a really fun year. Nice. And did it help going to the U.S.? Is that where you started getting attention and interest from the NCAA? Or were they coming to Ontario to kind of watch and scout not only you, but a pretty talented age group in the OVA? Yeah, so it was actually in the States that we got seen. We went to the best club in the States. It's called Sports Performance out of Chicago. And we went to their one of their home tournaments, and we played, like, their top team. And so just playing them 
these girls were all like already committed to like Wisconsin, USC, like all the top schools. So I don't even know why recruits were watching because they were already all committed. But because that grew so much attention in that like one game, I guess, I feel like that's really where it where it happened. And that's like a three day like long weekend tournament. So I guess, you know, once they see you in one game they can just follow you around for the whole weekend. And so I was found through that and I actually never made a recruiting video. So who knows what would have happened if I made a recruiting video, but I was pretty happy with my options and yeah. Nice. And did you ever consider U Sports or the CCAA or as soon as you spoke to Central Arkansas and kind of had a visit, that was going to be the, the spot for you? Yeah, my goal was really to go to the States. I, I definitely thought about where I would want to go if I stayed in Canada and I definitely probably would have went to McMaster or UBC. I really just wanted to like get away and experience like something else. So I feel like staying close to home, like, yeah, that would have been nice. But I also was, was really open to like living far away, living on my own. And my, you know, my parents were really supportive of that too. So. Awesome. And what were some of your first memories from going to the NCAA? Uh, Did they kind of accept you as a Canadian? Was there a couple teasing about maybe our accent or some word choice we have? Or were you pretty comfortable right off the bat? I was pretty comfortable right off the bat. But there's definitely some words that I still get made fun of for. (laughs) One being cutlery. They do not say cutlery. They say silverware. So, like, if you say cutlery, they think it's, like, super, like, fancy or, like, an old person's word. (laughs) (laughs) So, I have taken that out of my vocabulary because some people just actually don't even know what that is. Like, they have no idea what you're saying. Another one is just, like, shag. If I'm, like, shag balls or, like, shag bag, anything like that, I have an accent. I never really said A a lot. That's kind of disappeared out of my vocabulary. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it. Other than that, I was the first Canadian player at my school, but we had another girl from Norway on my team. So I wasn't, like, the only super foreign one. Like, she was way more foreign than me. But yeah, everyone was super welcoming, just a couple jokes here and there. And how did you find the level of volleyball going from like our club system to being a, a freshman in the NCAA and contributing right away? The level was definitely like extremely higher. And I, yeah, I was starting right away. Like, they needed me and I was always a middle in club. They kind of had me going back and forth between like a right side and a middle. So it was just like, I was just open to like learning a ton because even like, the way they run their, like, plays for middles and, like, their step-arounds and stuff, the footwork is, like, completely different. So, like, there'd be times in practice where I just wanted to, like, break down crying because, like, everything was so new and so hard. And I really didn't even learn how to, like, hit anything besides, like, a two-meter ball until I was 17. So, like, after, like, a year and a half, I was trying to learn, like, just so much in that time. So, but yeah, I was good. I feel like I learned a lot more there even being in like a small conference and a small school I feel like I got way better than I ever would have if I stayed at a school in Canada maybe not but that's just what I think and when did beach volleyball become an option like when you went there were you considered for indoor and beach right away because I think in Ontario sometimes we're too quick to label players and I think he would have been identified as maybe like an indoor player because you didn't play on the OVA beach tour that much or you weren't around the game that much but then all of a sudden you're playing at the NCAA so what was your experience like being like a a multi-sport athlete at the NCAA even though it's the same sport different disciplines but how did you manage that kind of switching to the beach uh, early on in your career at Central Arkansas? Yeah so I was really lucky because UCA added it my junior year, so I was able to do both my junior and senior year, but it was also just 
I mean, it's not really, I wouldn't even really consider it a season at UCA because it's so hard just to schedule competition, and, you know, they didn't really have any money, so, like, our whole team was pretty much just the indoor girls playing for fun, even though we ended up being, like, super good my first year, um, my junior year, but, um, yeah, and my indoor coach was also coaching it, so, and she had no experience on the beach, so it was really more of just, like, playing for fun, and we had, like, a, a 10 or 12 game season, so, but I was still lucky just to be able to, like, get in the sand. But actually going into college and university, I my goal was to play professionally indoor overseas after. That was always kind of my goal because, I, you know, I wanted to travel. I wanted to live in other countries. I just wanted to experience all of that. But after playing my junior, senior year, I was like, you know what? I feel like I could go further as a beach athlete just because, like, I can pass. I can do all that stuff. And I actually love, I love passing. I love doing that. So I was like, you know what? I get to touch the ball more. And I feel like I could just be, like, more of a star athlete this way as opposed to in, in playing professionally overseas for indoor. So then, yeah, my senior year after indoor season, so 2018 really was when I converted to play beach um, full-time. And my coaches at my old school, I mean, they offered me to stay, but they knew I just knew I wanted to be in Southern California. Like, that was my goal, just so I can, like, build roots here. And I actually emailed schools in, like, March of the year, and I would, would have transferred in August, so it was, like, really last minute, and, um, yeah, I was really looking at Southern California, and then I was looking at Arizona as well, just because it's pretty close, and, yeah, after just playing on the stand and being able to touch the ball, I think that's when I realized that I felt like I had more potential, and I wanted to touch the ball more, and then, yeah, the transfer process started, which was, like, really last minute, I got super lucky, I was able to still, like, get a full scholarship, and that whole, like, transfer process also was, like, seamless and amazing. So, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, just before we get into LMU, I was just wondering, how did you find balancing everything you're doing? So you're playing indoor and beach, and you're also doing very well academically. So how did you find the time to kind of do everything? Or what kind of tips would you give to some of our younger listeners uh, just about how you managed everything and were able to be a high performer in so many areas? Yeah, so I think you need a really good planner because... I would have my whole day, like, planned out um, in time blocks so I could, like, visually see the times that I had open. And then also, I think that, so in high school, I had a job, and I played club, and I played high school. And just, I think, managing all of that and the academics in high school in Canada are pretty hard. I think it prepared me for college here because I think their education system's a little easier throughout their high schools. So once they do get to university, it's more of a shock for them. But I feel like the Canadian high school system prepared me really well. And I was balancing a lot in high school. So transferring over, I actually felt like I was handling less in college because, you know, I made my own class schedule. All I was doing was planning it around practice. I wasn't working a job. So that was one less thing I had to deal with. So yeah, I would definitely say the Canadian school system helps and then just having a planner, being on top of everything, you know, communicating with your coaches, communicating with your teachers. It's like communicating all the time. And, um, you know, once you get your like class schedule at the beginning of the semester, putting everything into your planner, including like combining all that with your competition dates. And then also I knew like, so if I had an assignment due at like midnight on Thursday, but I had a game on Thursday from like, at like seven to nine, I knew after that game I wasn't going to do my assignment. So I made sure to have everything done before my games. And I think it just comes down to, like, knowing yourself as well. Like, 
realistically after a game, are you going to be able to focus on getting a paper done when you're exhausted? For me, no. So knowing myself and understanding how I work the best and yeah, working with it. Nice. Some good tips there. And then just to confirm with the NCAA rules, you get four years of eligibility, but because the NCAA treats as a different sport, that's how you're able to transfer and play technically a fifth year of volleyball, right? Yeah, correct. So technically I did three seasons of beach because I did two at my initial school, but because I did the, my junior year and my senior year at the same time that I was doing indoor, it allowed me for a fifth year. But I think if I would have done it like all four years, you can't do a fifth year. Or if you do it even your second, third, and fourth year, I'm not totally sure if you'd still be able to get that fifth year. I think so, but I'm not sure. Awesome. Learning so much about the NCAA through this. This is great. So <laughs> you mentioned California was going to be a goal. So did you speak to any other schools? Or as soon as LMU mentioned they had a spot on the team and a scholarship available, that was going to be the right fit for you? Yeah, so I actually talked to a lot of schools. Um, my coaches at UCA really helped me out, and they kind of like – emailed schools for me, which I think, you know, when a coach sends another coach an email being like, you need this player, it really helps as opposed to like me sending emails myself because those tend to get like lost in all the coaches' emails. So a lot of them were responsive right away. Like Pepperdine right away was like, we don't have any money, but like we'd like her or even like Arizona was like, um, University of Arizona was like, yeah, we don't have any money. But, you know, we could possibly come up with some after, like, if you committed, we might be able to find you some. Grand Canyon University offered me almost a full, so it was really between Grand Canyon and LMU. Yeah, so I talked to a few. Obviously, some didn't get back to me because, like, USC and UCLA plan, like, five years in advance of their rosters. So, yeah, I mean, I could have walked on probably at any school. But for me, money was a big thing, and that was their priority, along with really just knowing I wanted to be in California. Like, I've always wanted to live in California since I was, like, 14, even if it was just for a year. And then this is just the place to be for beach volleyball. So, yeah. Nice. And you mentioned you learned so much at Central, Central Arkansas, excuse me, just about indoor and footwork and stuff like that. So when you got to the beach with LMU with, let's just say, a, a more serious schedule and a more serious beach program than you were probably used to in your junior and senior year at CA, did it meet your expectations? Because obviously you were on the hunt and you wanted to take this to a really high level. So what were some of your first impressions when you got there? Were you were you eager to learn? Were they teaching lots of new stuff? Like, how did you pick your partner? Just give us, like, the first glimpse of, of your first impressions when you finally get on campus and you start training. It was, I think I'm, I was very open to learning about the game, and I still am. So just going in right away and just, like, soaking up everything like a sponge. And they were teaching like the first couple weeks they kind of like taught their basic principles and they're very much of like a growth mindset and they're they're less about like if you're the most athletic person on the beach or if you physically look strong they're more about getting better mentally and as a player and like focusing on you know really specific things before moving on to like your next little goal so I thought that was really helpful and obviously John and Betsy are like amazing coaches and you know professionals themselves so Obviously, I'm trusting them. And they knew, too, like, some people on the team don't want to play professionally, but they knew for me, like, my goal is to play professionally after. So they were like, look, you're doing this great. You can hit a ball really well. But if you want to play professionally and get to that next level, if you make this, like, little tweak here, this little tweak here, that's what the pros are doing. So they were able to just give me that perspective of the little things I needed to change to get to that next level, which was really helpful. 
And how did you find managing the teams within teams? I'm always fascinated when we have a guest on the show and we talk NCAA Beach that you're fighting for your spot, but you're still part of this big team, which I think is a unique demand that makes it so entertaining. So were you kind of having the expectation to be on the ones? Did you know who your partner was going to be? Like, how did you feel with like the dynamic of your squad and then also going to competition and playing in the dual system? Yeah, that's a good question. So for me, my goal was to, I knew that if I was coming to Southern California, there was going to be really good competition. So my goal overall was to be on, like, honestly, just to be on a top five team. I didn't want to have, like, uh, I need to be on the ones or anything because, like, no matter what, at the top schools and if when you play top schools, like, the teams are, have, like, are really deep in, in skill. So, like, even, like, if you look at UCLA, like, their ones through their fives are all amazing. Like, their fives probably beat their ones and their twos at practice. So for me, I knew that we would have a good schedule and whether I was at the ones or the fives, you know, I'd be happy to be traveling and to be competing and just getting better. You know, I wasn't, my goal wasn't to win, obviously you want to win conference and go to the tournament, but especially as a fifth year when you have one year, like I was really focused on just myself. I know it sounds selfish, but I just wanted to get better and be a better beach player for myself. And then like, if that led to the conference championships and all that, that's a bonus, um, which it did, which is awesome. Um, and then just the whole, I know like a lot of teams can get like extremely competitive with like who's at the ones and who's at the twos and all that. But at LMU, it was a lot more about like, we're going to try to get better every day. It doesn't matter what, what seed you're at. Like you're going to go to that, that seed and you're going to, you're going to try to win. You're going to try to play the best you can and become a better player. Um, so I think, yeah, it was also just a bonus being able to be at like the one slash twos and also, you kind of can pick your partner and then you collaborate with the coaches of like who they think would be best because it's confusing. Just like not everyone can play with who they want to play with because there's so many different like combinations that could come out of everything. So at the end of the day, the coaches are the ones who are putting the pairs together and ranking them. Um, and then once you like play games, you can only move people up or down one spot. So like if I played at the ones, I could only be moved down one spot like per game. So then that also makes it confusing if you're trying to, like, switch partners. You can't, like, if I was at the ones and they wanted the girl at the fives to be my partner all of a sudden, like, I would have to go down a few games and they would have to slowly come up a few games. So, yeah, it's definitely confusing. But I actually ended up playing with three different partners during the season. Nice. And what what goes into that dynamic? Did you get to play both left and right side? Did you block and defend? Like, when you're switching partners, how much of it was, like, contributing to your growth and helping you get to the next level? Yeah, so I think it was all, like, helping me get to the next level, but then at the same time, it's like, what does the team need right now? Me and my partner weren't doing super well at the beginning, so then they switched us just to see if there'd be a better combination, just because it just wasn't, we did really well in, like, off-season, and once it got to game time, it just, like, wasn't clicking, and it wasn't, like, anything against her, anything against me, it was just, it just wasn't clicking, so they switched us, yeah, and then I was playing with another girl, and we weren't doing super, super successful. So then they switched us because we, right before a conference tournament, they switched us. And the way that they switched us, I feel like we should have been all along because that's when we did so well. We beat Pepperdine, and it was a double elimination, so we beat them twice in the same day to win conference. And yeah, but what was the other part of the question? Uh, I was just wondering, when you switch partners, like, did you get a chance to block and defend, play left side and right side? Or, like, how much do coaches have to consider when they're pairing athletes together? Definitely a lot, but once you're at, like, a top level, it's pretty much, like, 
at least pairs one through four is pretty much like a blocker, strict blocker, and a strict defender. So I was I was a full time blocker. I know I'm I played defense with Alex now, but yeah, I was I've always been a blocker, and so I was blocking the whole time. And whatever partner I played with was always a defender as well. Nice. And for anyone who's also listened to the Coach of Brains pod, uh, Coach of Brains out, excuse me, podcast with John Mayer, I imagine he's pretty leading in terms of like transfer and he's big on, you know, growth mindset, like you said, and autonomy. So what are little things that John and Betsy are doing in practice just to kind of focus on learning? Like you mentioned, they installed their system. Are you guys meeting very often? Is there stuff on the whiteboard? Like how are they really promoting this stuff that he he's made a, a kind of an expert level thing with his podcast that he, he's really speaking to the community on, on the benefit of these things. So I'm wondering what he's doing in his own practices to help benefit everybody in this growth mindset and learning that he's really focused on. Yeah. So I don't know if you've read his book that he came out with, but if you have every example that he's giving in there, like he is practicing what he's preaching. So like he taught us about like how he gave, he brought in like a psychologist that talks about like, creating new neural pathways and how it's like you're cutting down grass and the more you're practicing it, the more you cut it down, those pathways are going to stick. But once you stop practicing it, like the grass is going to grow, grow back. Um, so he was giving us those visuals with psychologists. He like, we would have iPads. I mean, I'm sure a lot of other teams do this, but we'd have like iPads set up. So after each thing we would go and see what we were doing. And then he'd be like, so what can you do better? We would have like specific focuses for like, every few plays he also had like an external focus instead of an internal focus so instead of focusing on like your arms you would focus on the ball because it's more external which research has shown to be more effective and yeah they're they're very good at forcing you not in a bad way to speak out loud what your focuses are and they they keep asking you like did you get your focus how was that one? After every rep, did you get it that time? How was that? Did you feel good with that? Stuff like that. So it's like through every play and through every practice, they're instilling this. And then they also, you know, they have the whiteboard. They show us what we're doing every day. There's a, what's it called? Like a prompt at the beginning of practice that we'll journal about. We journal pretty much every day. We have a mindset warm-up where we sit. We actually practice on the beach at LMU. We have an on-campus court, but we practice at the beach because it's so close. And so we'll go sit by the ocean, and they ha- they like tell us what we like what to think about, what we're going to focus on that day. And there's a whole little routine that we go through, and it's awesome. Like especially for some girls who come from like some pretty negative coaches in the past, that you can just like see them transforming into like a whole new person, having a whole new confidence. And their system definitely helps. So yeah, they they transformed me. Like I'm all for it now. Awesome. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of coaches' ears are perking up. So. Can you just give us like an example of a typical practice? So you mentioned like your meeting at the start and you guys are doing some mental work there. And then how did the drills work and how does kind of everything go together? Because I imagine you have a different performance plan than everyone else on the team, right? It seems very specific. So kind of walk us through what practice looks like just in blocks so we can all kind of benefit from what John and Betsy are doing. Yeah. So if I can remember, you asked me about, I didn't really know a lot about the sport then. So like I just kind of would show up like do whatever they said but um we would show up we'd have our mindset warm up and then like for warm-up even they're all about making things as game-like as possible so like even for warm-ups everything was over the net so we would like just go right into 
we would call it pepper, but it would be like two versus two cooperative, like jump hard, swing easy type thing. So you're not like hurting your shoulder, but like right away you're going into like things that are most similar to a game. So two, two V two over the net cooperative. And then we, you know, we'd have a focus for the day. So whether that would be like serving, passing, setting or hitting, and then we would go into, um, like more drills in the beginning that like broke it down. We'd have the iPads. You'd check the iPad after a couple rounds to see how you're doing. You'd talk to them about what your focus is, what you want to get better at for the next round. So we do kind of drills like that where a coach is inputting, and then we would go into like gameplay competition drills that like would also have like they'd be not like a straight up set or anything. They would be broken down into points, um, giving you bonuses based on what the focus was for that day. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah. did you have much experience with journey, uh, journaling, excuse me, or visualization? Like was that kind of new to you or were you doing that already as a high performance athlete when you got there? No, that was new to me. I've never journaled before, like with a prompt that a coach gave us. I mean, you know what you see, we talked about visualization, but we never did like a mindset warm up or anything where you're like before practice, you're like visualizing three specific things that you want to focus on. So I definitely think that helps, and I think a lot of people do visualization, like, the night before a game, or sometimes even, like, after practice, but doing it, like, getting to the beach early and doing it, like, literally while your feet are in the sand and you're touching the sand, I feel like really helps, because it helps you, like, just having that, like, touch of the sand, I feel like helps you visualize it and get right into it. So yeah, that's something, I don't necessarily do the whole mindset warm-up, but I definitely have taken with me, like, when I'm driving to practice and I'm getting there, I'm like, okay, what are my three like personal focuses? And then throughout practice, I'll be like, Hey, Alex, I'm focusing on like facing the pin on this set or something. And just being able to like say it uh, out loud helps me like really focus on it too. Yeah. Let's, let's pull on that some more. So you leave LMU and you're committed to being a professional athlete, but you still choose to live in California and represent Canada. So what's that dynamic like? Obviously training with P1440 gives you access to coaching and I'm sure a great training group, but how did they receive you as a Canadian? How did you and Alex team up knowing that uh, you're two Canadians living in California? So I'm sure it was a perfect match, but how did everything kind of come together when you were done in school? Yeah. So I had no idea what I was doing. Like I know nothing about the beach volleyball world tour or like the circuit or anything like I'm so new to this nobody even knows who I am at this point so obviously Alex knows because we played them but um yeah so I like had no idea where to go and John actually helped me and he actually reached out to the national team coaches being like what can she do like she wants to stay here and they're like well she needs to get to North Saker trials like she needs to do all this so then I was like okay I'm gonna go home and, and just like train with the national team for a couple practices just so like a, they know who I am because nobody knew who I was. So I went home and trained with them for a little bit in Ashbridges. And then a couple weeks later, Alex was like, also, I was still a blocker at this time. I was not a defender. Alex, Alex didn't know what she was doing. She was planning to come home. But once you get to, to SoCal, you're like, you don't really want to leave. So I think she kind of wanted to stay too. And she reached out to the coaches being like, do you guys know anybody that I can play with? And they were like, well, what about Megan? She's like, well, she's a blocker. And they're like, mm, we think she could be a defender. And so Alex reached out to me and she's like, hey, would you want to play? And I was like, honestly, yeah, I can, I've learned so much so quickly. So whatever, I'll just become a defender now. <laughs> so then I switched to defender last like July. And yeah, we just hit the fan run. Is that, is that the saying? Hit the 
hit the something right, hit the ground right. It is now. We'll go with it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Awesome. And it sounds like the timing worked out really well because are you technically the first wave of of the training group to come through 1440? No, we are, we are this, the second or third. I think it started like a full year before we came, but there wasn't a lot of people in it at all. And then the level just like skyrocketed. So like our group, our training group actually had some amazing players, a lot that play like AVP, getting into the main draw. So yeah, definitely was a really good training group and a really good opportunity. So we asked Alex this question when we had her on the show, and I'm interested to hear your answer. First time Carrie Walsh Jennings walk, walks by or interacts with you, what do you remember from that? What are you feeling when like this larger than life person is now interacting with you, trying to make you better, trying to like help the sport as a whole? Yeah, I think it. I think it was just kind of like put into perspective how yeah she's like this huge idol but she's all like the beach community is just so small that it's like literally the best female beach player in history is like right there practicing right after you you know like creating this whole program for you and she's also just like humble enough to just like be there around you guys and want to help you get better and I don't think that happens in a lot of other sports like you think about like professional basketball like the NBA players aren't just around like you're not you're not, like, practicing in the same facility as them, you know what I mean? So I think it's, like, put into perspective for me, like, wow, this sport is so awesome, and, like, she's so awesome for even doing this and, like, trying to make the sport have more money and to be more accessible for people that are, like, like me, where I'm, like, still in the developmental stage and I'm just starting to play and just providing those resources for us. So it wasn't as much of, like, a starstruck moment. I feel like Alex said that because Alex, like, loves her, but it was more of just, like, putting things into perspective, like, wow, this sport is really cool, like, we need to keep spreading the word about this sport and getting more people to play this sport and getting more money in this sport, because it's so awesome. And it sounds like you had a great background going from CA to LMU to now going with 1440, so were there any habits, like you mentioned, you're driving in your car and you're kind of doing your LMU warm-up and stuff like that, were there any new habits that 1440 was able to instill in you to kind of help you feel like you are a professional and you are on your goal for, you know, being an Olympian and meddling? Yeah, so they were they were definitely different style of coaches from the LMU coaches, and it was also difficult because there was only, like, two coaches, and they're coaching, like, so many athletes, and there's, like, the higher-level group that we were in, and there was a group after us, and so I feel like there was actually a lot of pressure on them, and just that they were dealing with a lot of people, so it wasn't as, like, specific-focused per athlete, but they definitely, like, opened my eyes to a lot of new drills, and they did, they made us do a lot of conditioning and, like, cones and stuff, which I'm grateful they did because I feel like I may not have done that by myself. But yeah, just like they're they're Brazilian, so they have that like a lot of reps. So I was I I liked that style as well, even though it was a lot different than the LMU coaches. So I think it was just gave me perspective of how to like combine those two coaching styles into something that is like my absolute favorite. Yeah, you mentioned that Carrie's around practice, and I imagine Casey makes an appearance. And I believe Alex told us you got to train with Brooke and Carrie a couple times. Is there anything that you're looking up to what a professional does? Like, is there anything that kind of confirms it for you? They go like, yes, that's why they're one of the best players in the world, because they, they do this at practice or they do this behavior. Like, is there anything you've adopted just from being around some of the best players in the world? Yeah, I think that a lot of it is most of them aren't 
working other jobs. And, like, obviously that's hard. They're making enough money. They don't have to. And, like, at my level, it's, like, I'm doing all this other stuff to keep up. But just seeing how much time in a day they're actually really dedicating to, like, practicing, watching film every day, like, of their practice. A, also filming every practice. And then also getting in really good workouts. I think that's the biggest thing because for me, sometimes like I'm so busy that I have to sacrifice maybe my workout that day, which sucks, but I'm still finishing my master's right now and I'm not I'm trying to work to even just stay here. But definitely I, another big thing, I know I mentioned it would be filming your practices. A lot of people only film their games, but I started filming practices and trying to watch them as much as I can because you know, you're getting better in practice. You may as well watch yourself. And then I also noticed after LMU, because we did a lot of film and film meetings and stuff, that watching myself helps me so much. Like, I have to, have to, have to film myself and watch myself. Awesome. And I and I saw the write-up you did for the Ergzon Scholarship, and I thought that was extremely well done and, and a great award for you. So you mentioned some challenges of being a Canadian there, and you're not... You're not eligible to play in the AVP, or I'm sure there could be some green card issues there, whatever you and Alex would have to do. So you're doing all this training, and you only have opportunities to do some international travel. So can you kind of just talk about how that's changed your mindset at practice, where you might have people in your group who are trying to peak for an AVP event, where you and Alex are really focusing on going to Norseka trials and hopefully getting that bid, or going overseas, right? So how does that kind of change uh, what you're doing at practice, being around people who are kind of peaking for Friday versus you kind of having to force to have a long-term goal for what your competition schedule is. Yeah, it's definitely difficult, like, mentally, especially, like, seeing all of them playing in the tournaments and even just, like, going to watch the tournaments and be like, yeah, I practice with all those girls. Like, this really sucks. But at the same time, I feel like it gives that extra drive and, like, that fire under our butts because we know, like, yeah, they're training for a tournament this weekend, but we're training for this tournament overseas. And... We have to work even harder than that because we, I feel like we have a lot more on the line, like trying to live here, trying to train. A lot of them, no offense, are doing it because it's so easy. Like they're already from here. They may have the financial background to like be able to do all of this. But for us, it's like we're like grinding. We're like trying to find the money to do this. Like we're really trying to like live out our dreams. And I feel like sac- like being able to, or not being able to, but having to sacrifice things in order to do this makes you want it even more. But yeah, training wise, it's although they're training for tournaments and like trying to peak, I feel like it's really not that different the way we train. The only difference is they all want to play with the Wilsons. If me and Alex always want to practice with the McCasses. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And looking at your BBB info uh, profile, You've gone to events that have led to some a lot of cool stories on the show. So you've been to China already, and you've been to a couple Norsecas. So, what were some of your first impressions about going to international tournaments and finally representing Canada? Like, obviously you're excited, but was there anything that was kind of a first impression that you you really took as a learning experience? That like maybe life on tour isn't that glamorous at times, or there was stuff you had to get used to. I think a lot of people underestimate the type of food that you're going to eat. So. China wasn't bad, but, like, Betsy was trying to help me, like, prepare and everything, and so we had brought, like, camping meals that you just add hot water to in case we weren't able to eat the food in China, which we, we thankfully, like, were able to, but, like, we had to, like, pack all of this food, camping meals, which isn't even <laughs> that good for you to begin with, just in case, and I feel like when you think of, like, a professional athlete, you're not thinking, like, they're eating camping meals in China, <laughs> 
but we had them. We may have ate a few just because, but, um, yeah. And then I think also like in Jamaica at the North Seca, the food was not great at all, but then also like there wasn't really anything like near there. Like there was like pizza places, which was kind of weird for Jamaica. And then there was this like Jamaican patty spot. So it's kind of like you're stuck a little bit and we were expecting the food in Jamaica to be like amazing. So yeah, I think the food aspect is something that not a lot of people would think about being like a struggle, (laughs) but it definitely is. And I think a a challenge that Canadians face is obviously the finances aren't there, so it makes travel challenging. So what did you do before the events? Because obviously China would be getting used to a different time zone, and you mentioned you prep for food and stuff. So what are some little details? Because I think that's one thing that people need to realize about beach volleyball is sometimes when you're traveling, the logistics are just as important as the on-court stuff, that you really need to hammer that out if your performance is going to match and do exactly what you want to do at the event, right? Yeah. So for China, we neither of us had any idea what to expect. That was also my first like international tournament ever. <laughs> so it was like so outside of my comfort zone. But yeah, I think I was just asking like Betsy and other people I knew that went to that tournament, like went to China before, like what their opinion was, like what they did to prepare, and just being able to even like have Betsy, for example, and John as like an example or someone that I could easily ask any questions was super helpful. Um, so I would definitely like ask around and ask like people, other people who've done it before, what to expect because they've already done it. You know, you're not going to get a better answer than what they're telling you. So that was probably the best thing that we did because even like Betsy was the one who told me to bring camping food. So like I would have never done that. I probably would have just brought like peanut butter or something. So, um, yeah, that's definitely helpful to ask around. And then as for time zone stuff, we didn't do anything to prepare. We probably should have, but we took a red eye. So by the time we got there, we were super tired. And so we, we ended up just like somehow sleeping at the normal time because we were so exhausted from traveling that we were just so tired that we, by the time we got there, we slept at the right time. Awesome. And what do you like to do as far as goal setting? So for you to medal at an Orsica, did you get off the plane thinking, yes, we're here, I'm going to make semis at least? Or are you pretty process driven that you're just there to play your best and kind of take it game by game? Like, do you like to think of expectations or how are you thinking about your own performance when you go to these tournaments? Um, Definitely more like process and goal oriented. So like, even for China, our goal was to just make it in the main draw. And then for the Norseka is like, you know, I had no idea what to expect. So this is like my first time going to any of these. And so I just wanted to like play well, like, and, and me and Alex together as a pair play well, not like me individually. And so after the first one, when we came third, um, you know, we had, we didn't have any expectations going into it. We had no, I had no idea what to expect. Um, and then we came third. And then I think the North State, the one North State we went to after that in Jamaica, we kind of had expectations because the one before we had just became third. And then when you have those expectations, then there's more pressure and all that. And then we didn't do well. So I think for me, it's more process. It's point by point, game by game. And it's not like we have to come top three at this tournament. It's just, can I get better in this tournament? Can I get better in this game? Can I get better in this point? Can me and Alex get better in all of these scenarios as well? And then, you know, at the same time, like not doing as well as we wanted really allowed us to like understand like we don't, we can't set expectations. We can't think we're better than anyone just because we came third at one tournament. We're still new to the sport. So yeah, taking it by point by point, game by game is definitely 
a lot better for me uh, personally. And did you do you remember having a different mood for the the events you've been to? Because I think Norseekers are great because you're you're guaranteed that you're going to be in the event and you're going to get multiple games versus flying to a different continent and being in the qualifier that you could be one and done. So I, I know it's easier said than done that you should treat them the same, but do you remember feeling like a little bit of pressure just being in the qualifier? So we actually, once we got to China, a team had dropped out or something. And so we ended up making it to the main draw without having to play the qualifier. Nice. But I think mindset-wise, I felt... I mean, going to the North North Vegas, I feel like it's more like a fun feeling because there's less teams and you're in like a tropical place. I think for China, it was more of just also, also it was my first tournament, so I I just had no idea what to expect. But I wouldn't say it was like more pressure. I think it was just like, you know, there's a higher risk and a higher reward, but you learn no matter what, whether you win or whether you lose. So I felt like no matter what, I was going to learn something and we did, so... Yeah, I think just knowing losing doesn't mean you're awful. You're still learning from that. So I think putting thinking at it that way can allow you to take those risks. And, you know, you're going to get better no matter what. So. And does anything stand out as far as making the jump from the NCAA to the World Tour? Like, were some of the things that Betsy and John were preparing you for, did you feel that coming true as you started reaching? Or, or was there a jump in level when you went to these international tournaments? I definitely think what they were teaching me was helpful and amazing, and I think it really helped me transition. I think the hardest part actually wasn't necessarily my skill level. It's just, like, figuring out how to manage everything myself, booking the trips and, like, finding money and all of, like, that side of things. But I think skill-wise, they definitely helped. And I even – we asked John if he would coach us still, but he's just so busy because he coaches – obviously LMU and then he coaches Betsy and then he coaches um, a men's team as well but sometimes sometimes we'll practice with Betsy and Emily and then he'll coach us too because <laughs> I love his coaching staff. Now you mentioned that uh, part of the mission of P1440 is to get more money into our sport I'm wondering are they covering that for athletes as well in terms of like education because anyone who, who follows you on Instagram knows that you do have some support and you are able to kind of monetize a few products here and there so is that something that someone's been able to teach you a little bit or is that just something that you're focused on because you know you want to do this for a living that it's just part of the territory that you need to find sponsors and other revenue streams? Yeah so that's something I really learned on my own but P1440 was or I think they didn't actually they do like little meetings that teach you about like social media and they did meetings to help you like a lot of it was focused towards social media because of all the sponsors that come through that I actually wasn't able to attend that but I think Alex went to one so yeah they were providing these like free courses basically on like social media and how to like gain your following and how to get sponsors and stuff um and then as far as like money they actually were providing so like we would have like inner squad tournaments and then we, you get points for attendance and you get points for playing in like AVPs and stuff. And based on your points, like the top 10 athletes per gender would get um, payouts in the first place person would get like five grand. Wow. Yeah. So on top of free training and like for coaching, you could also potentially get paid out some money based on just like your attendance and how well you did at the inner squad tournaments. So that was super awesome. And how are you selected in this group? Because it sounds like there's a lot of benefits and for free training and being exposed to all this stuff. What is the, the tryout uh, process for this program? Yeah, so you try out. It's either 
a one-day or two-day tryout. So I think last time I did it, it was a two-day, and then the session they were going to do before all the quarantine happened, it was just going to be like a one-day tournament, and they just run a bunch of drills. And, you know, a lot of the time they, like, know who's – like, they know people's names. It's such a small community. Um, and then they they pick it. There's two locations. So there's the Hermosa group and the Huntington group. And, you know, obviously people live in different areas, so you kind of put – what area you want to be in um they make the groups based on that and the elite group which is the top one is eight athletes i believe but i think the huntington one only had six so it's pretty selective they're picking like seven pairs total to be part of the elite group but then even the developmental group there they can still win the money too it's not just the elite group Nice, nice. And how are you dealing with kind of the pause in the season here? Obviously, international competitions off, and here in Ontario and in the GCA, like we're we're not back to training or anything. So, are you still being active? Are they still offering training? Are you guys meeting at all? Like, how have you dealt as a professional athlete when everything kind of took a, a stop there, and and we were limited with what we had access to? Yeah, so I took a break for a little bit. I know I was still like working on stuff. I got like a nice little dumbbell set, so that was nice. <laughs> But I was, not, I was, like, pretty at ease with it. You know, it wasn't – it sucked. But at the same time, I was like, you know what, volleyball and beach volleyball, it doesn't define who I am. So I was pretty comfortable, like, you know, taking a break and just reassuring myself that, like, I wasn't the only one who's taking this break. Like, this is everybody. It's affecting everyone. The Olympics was postponed. Like, this isn't a personal thing. So I think that brought me a little bit more comfort as well, just knowing, like, everyone's dealing with this right now. But I did start training again because Hermosa Beach opened as long as you bring your own net. So I've been lucky enough to start training. Obviously not with Alex because she's not here, but um, yeah, I'm out here still because I'm still in school. So um, yeah, I started training again last week and it feels amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And how are you staying connected to your goal? Because I think it's great that you and Alex, it's no secret, like you guys are talking 2024 and 2028. But as you mentioned, like you're very process oriented, so it's tough to have stay connected to a goal that might be four years away, right? So are you being very deliberate and focused that when you lift weights on a Tuesday, that's all for 2024? Or what are you doing to kind of connect that you know you're you're going to be within reaching distance of that goal that you've set for yourself? Yeah, so like I, like I kind of mentioned before, like goals versus expectations kind of thing. Um, I feel like expectations is where I put too much pressure on myself and then I don't like excel the best I can so for me yes I have the goal of 2024 but that's not an expectation so with goals I'm able to like go day by day week by week season by season um so I do have like well not right now because we just started practicing yet but I had like monthly goals that I would want to hit or things that I really want to focus on that month and then I would break that down Uh, per week and then I would also have like a yearly goal so like one of my 2020 yearly goals was to start hand setting and also to wear a visor I know that sounds stupid but those are my (laughs) yearly goals so they're pretty broad in general but then with each month I have like kind of where I want to be or like hope to be yeah and then like obviously that can break down even to each day like am I hand setting and drills that day will I transfer to like any game scenarios I'm playing Stuff like that. So I'm really taking it like day by day and year by year, not year by year, day by day and like week by week. And I'm not like, I'm not working out being like, this is for 2024. I feel like that's just so far in advance and like 
so much can happen between that time, like an injury. And then say, if I did get injured, then I feel like it would be even more heartbreaking or even just like the coronavirus. Like people were probably like seriously, seriously heartbroken. I mean, I don't blame them, especially if I was going to the Olympics or like super close to being in the Olympics, but yeah, definitely, definitely not thinking a lot about 2024 yet. Um, just thinking about getting better every day. I have to ask, what is the goal behind the visor? Is it uh, the way you look, the way you feel? Is there performance behind it? What, why have you deliberately set that one as one of your goals? First and foremost is because it keeps the sun out of your face, so you're a lot less like tired after like tournaments or games. And then another is it like doesn't it holds your sweat back from dripping down your face, and then also it keeps your your hairs out of your face. <laughs> Nice. Okay. So it was very yeah. deliberate. And if, if somebody wants to sponsor you, I mean, you have some product placement there you can put on your uniform. Oh yeah. I have a visor <laughs> now guys. I wear it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And I think hand setting is a perfect goal in our sport in terms of there's times when you could have a growth mindset and you could be working on it, but because of the way our game is officiated, there's also like a performance stage to it where you have to be dialed in or it's just not going to work. Right. So yeah. how do you balance that in training where I'm sure when you're in a gameplay and somebody's keeping score, if I'm across the net from you and your hands aren't that good, I'm probably calling you out on it and I'm not going to allow you to butcher it too bad, right? So is that the feeling you get in your training environment where there's, there's times to drill it and go for it and then there's times where if, if it's not performing, you got to go to the bump set? Or how are you treating that when you go through your training sessions and competitions? Yeah, so like I said, it was kind of like a yearly goal. So in January, February, and March when we were training, um, especially even through P1440, they would have us doing a lot of like hand setting drills, um, at the beginning of practices. And so in those moments, like last year, I was just like, I can't do this. Like I just learned how to bump set properly. So <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> so I wasn't really as focused. And then as 2020 came along, I was like, okay, I'm really going to focus on these. And they would have us using a weighted ball as well. So I really started focusing in January on hand setting in those drills. And then, you know, if I felt comfortable, then I would do it in like, regular like gameplay drills um and then just like slowly like when we do warm-up and we were doing setting in warm-ups like trying to use my hands all the time and then even over quarantine i've just been trying to like hand set in my backyard hand set as much as i can and now that i started training again i'm actually hand setting like 80 percent of the time and it's pretty clean so yeah just like slowly easing into it and then even like at practice now um I'm like, hey, guys, if I hand set in the game, like, can we just not call it? Because I feel like I need to, like, be able to think about doing it in a game. Um, and usually when I ask other, like, whoever we're practicing with, like, they're fine with it. Um, unless it's, like, really bad. But, um, yeah, so that's nice because then I feel comfortable doing it. And they're not going to call me on every single little thing. Awesome. And just for our listeners who might not be as familiar with Beach as, say, they are with the indoor game, with you coming through your development, what would be the big advantage to hand setting versus bump setting, just so we can confirm for the listeners? For me, what I think personally is that it's easier for the hitter to hit off of. Like, when I'm hitting, I prefer someone who hand sets. I feel like you can just, like, have a better rhythm, connect better. I feel like you can run more plays off of it. Um, and then optioning also becomes a, becomes easier because your hands are already up. So then if you quickly just want to, like, hit it over or even just setting it straight over, I feel like it's harder to defend that. Awesome. Awesome. So one thing we're trying to make a tradition on the show is just leave our listeners with a funny story. So you're still young in your career and a lot of exciting stuff on the go, but I imagine you've come across a, a funny experience or just something, whether it was on court or during travel, that was just odd that volleyball players can't seem to escape. So I was wondering if you could give us a funny story before we let you go. 
Yeah. So this was my first year of university. Um, so we would travel on these like sleeper beds. So like everyone kind of had their own little bunk. So I was sleeping in my bunk and like I could sleep through anything at any time. Getting a little better, but like I can literally just sleep all the time. So I guess I fell asleep when we were going from like practice to like going to eat at a restaurant. And I was sleeping in my bunk. I guess I was like curled and my blanket was kind of covering me and I was like close to the wall. So like nobody noticed that I was in there. Everyone like gets off the bus, goes in the restaurant. People are ordering their food and they're like, where's Megan? And everyone was like looking for me. Everyone was calling for me. I was in the bus sleeping. And then <laughs> like they came out, they start banging on the bus to like wake me up. I like didn't hear it. And then my coach comes on the bus, is like looking through all the bunks. And I, like, kind of heard them and woke up, and I was like, what is going on? They're like, we literally all ordered our food already. Like, we didn't realize you were still in here sleeping. <laughs> and then I, like, got up and awkwardly went to join everybody at, at, like, dinner or lunch or whatever it was. And they actually, actually, I think we were leaving. So, like, we would travel for weekends. We'd have, like, a Thursday game and a Saturday game. So I think it was actually the Friday in between. So we were going from one school to the other school. It was a couple-hour drive. And I think they actually thought for a second they left me at the other school <laughs> because I wasn't waking up. So, but yeah, I was fine. I was on there. And then everyone made fun of me after that because I could sleep through anything. <laughs> awesome. I'm sure that's going to come in handy as you start to travel the world more and play. But that's, that's awesome. That's a good story. Thank you. Yeah, it was a funny one. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. I have a, a huge bias, but I think Canadian volleyball is on a huge, huge rise right now. I think especially what the women are doing with Melissa and Sarah winning worlds and with Heather and Brandy being a top 10 team in the world and then hearing about what you and Alex are doing is technically independent athletes. Like you don't have a lot of affiliation with the national team, but you're still able okay. to represent Canada and, and grow on the world stage. So I think there's so many layers that are going together that what Team Canada is doing and it's just exciting to hear about your journey and how you're working through everything and still doing your master's, which is exciting too. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you that. Team Canada Beach Bible is on the rise and I shout out to all the top players that are like setting that stage for us and like getting us all this attention because I think it's so awesome and yeah they're awesome I look up to all of them so yeah thank you for having me I appreciate everything yeah great thanks for taking the time and sharing as much as you did thank you Hey guys, friend of the show, Shady Rays, has an exciting new offer for all you Passing Dimes fans. For the next 30 days, you can get 40% off when you buy two or more pairs of sunglasses. Just click the link in our show notes or on our Instagram bio to shop these awesome deals. Use discount code TEAM to get the offer. Shady Rays, live hard, we got you.